Hello and welcome to F24, your Paris Friends podcast. Our guest today is Warren Andrews. Warren is a long-standing member of the ACT class, a talented actor, dancer, and striped off the stage in order to help. Right, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Uh, so our first question is going right back to school. Um, what kind of student were you and did you always want to be an actor? What was it like in school? So in primary school, I was really, like, I was really good in primary school. I loved it. I loved going in every single morning. And I got, like, pupil of the year and all, like, every year. I was, like, top A student, sports. I just honestly was, like, I loved going into school. I had amazing friends. And the teachers, it was really, like, primary school was great for me because the teachers really knew who we were. They knew everything about us. They knew how we learned, what we liked, what we didn't like. And then for me, then when I went to secondary school, it was the complete opposite. I didn't have a good experience at all in secondary school. Like I, you know, teachers weren't even calling me, didn't even know my name. Like they were calling me Andrew as well for the first couple of months and stuff. So it wasn't as personal. I wasn't, a, I'm not necessarily a good reader. And primary school teachers would have known that. But when secondary school, they used to always say, Andrew, get up there and read. And I used to be sweating all the time. And but like, I was never like, I enjoyed it. I got in, I messed all the time. I was always in trouble. I was in detention every single week. And that's not me. Like I wasn't a bad person, but I just, it just wasn't for me because I started working at that age when I was younger. And I was more interested in working and being out and filming. And when I'd come back in and I would just be messing and getting into trouble. So ultimately I actually left school in halfway through my junior cert. I actually left school. I was doing maths paper two or something and I was like, ah, no, I'm not into this. And I was filming the clinic at the time. So I had to rush back out onto the set of the clinic. And yeah, I left school and I had an idea going back. But ultimately, for me, it wasn't what I needed. I needed to be out working, you know, meeting people, learning all about life and academic wise. Like I'll be book smart, but. I needed to get ahead. So that's, yeah, so school, primary school was good. Secondary school, not as much for me. And I kind of got out. And then that's ultimately that, that other question. Sorry for rambling on here, but I wanted to be an actor when I was 10 years of age. It was Singing in the Rain. It was um, my very first ever performance or musical or whatever it was. And from that moment, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So always in school, it's like whether you, some people want to be sports, some people want to be doctors. That was always in the back of my head that I wanted to get out and uh, become an actor or a performer. What was the most challenging storyline? The most challenging storyline um, was years ago, there was a storyline with Christy in Fair City. So it was myself and um, an actor or a character called Christy. And he was kind of like the man that looked after me uh, all the way growing up through my life. And in that show then, he had a heart like or a stroke and then I had to kind of look after him and stuff but it was really really challenging because in real life I really liked Tom Hopkins the man's name was and I had to look after him but like you could see him getting kind of older and uh, the character was getting harder and then ultimately the character died so heartbroken tragedy and it was a really challenging story to do and yeah ultimately it was like uh, that was really difficult but loved every loved every part of it different challenge City in 
perfect survive. That's a good one. Survive. I don't know how I'm surviving. They can't they can't get rid of me now at this stage. But uh basically I was in a program before called The Clinic. And I played a character called Ian Brown, I think his name was. And I was in that for three seasons. And it was also on RTE. So Sean Cassidy, which a lot of people don't know, there was an actor already playing Sean Cassidy. He was already in the show for like three years. And I got to the stage where they saw me in the clinic and they're like, oh, we like that young lad. Get him in. So I basically replaced a Sean Cassidy. He was small, short, blonde hair. And I came in kind of tall, skinny, black hair. It was the most awkward, weirdest experience. Literally, he walked out of the sitting room and I came in and I was the new Sean Cassidy. So it was a great, uh, yeah, it was a great experience kind of going auditioning for it. I didn't really know what Fair City was at the time. My mom was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're going for Fair City. And it's been the best kind of life changing thing for me to be able to do that from 2008 right up to now. It's been absolutely brilliant. And that's what it was. It was from the clinic. So they spot me from that and they got me into the show. And surviving, I have no idea how I'm surviving. I'm just keeping my head down, saying nothing. And hopefully, because I'll tell you what it is. There's a trick in, in RTE. If you look at your script, if you go to Galway or you go to Cork, you're never coming back. So if you read the script and it says Sean's gone to Galway, I'm like, right, lads, that's me done. If you go to Galway, you never come back. I don't think so. I think Sean is an absolute bore. I think he's completely different. I think now I'm not too sure. People might say that about me, but sometimes Sean is very, very serious. He's very, he's had a hard life. Like his, his mom died, his dad died and his mom actually died on her wedding day, which was bizarre soap story like epicness but other than that Sean is very serious he's very doesn't like to go outside the box he likes to stay in what he knows he's very comfortable and he doesn't you know so all that type of stuff I wouldn't be really into that I'd be kind of gone to get out and do as much as possible or to try new things or to meet new people like he's very sulky and stuff but he's very driven with work and he loves work and he loves working in the bar he loves trying to keep pushing himself and that's probably the only thing that I'd say we could um kind of are close enough to I love working and I love kind of pushing myself but other than that when I go down the country people go Jesus you're a bit of crack aren't you Sean like you know like they literally look at me going I can actually have a conversation where they think I don't know what it is and what be a big bore and head of me or something um, the people do love Fair City and why do you think that is why do people love Fair City I think people love Fair City because it's been going on for like 30 years. So whether you guys, whether you watch Fair City or not, but you might not watch it. But it's like the fact is your mom might watch it or your nanny might watch it. It's always kind of on in people's houses. It's it's always on. And a lot of this time, what Fair City does, Fair City does real life stories. So I said I worked on a storyline when Christy had a stroke and the amount of people that came up to me said, oh my God, I was a carer for my dad or I was a carer for my mom when she had a stroke. So it's very relatable. It's very real. There's affairs, there's weddings, there's heartbreak, there's death. So I think that's what people kind of like about it as well. And also I think a massive part was when the pandemic hit, the first time in 30 years, Fair City came off air and 
I think people realise how much they miss that in their houses, you know, in particular, every evening on half seven, they go to put it on and it wasn't on and they'd be going, oh my God, you don't realise how much Fair City means to people um, until that kind of pandemic hit. But yeah, it's a familiarity. People have grown up with the characters. People love to know that their life isn't as bad as people in the show. When Paul Brennan is getting, having affairs left, right and centre, there's there's people going, thank God it's not me. Or when someone is losing their house, they're going, oh, well, at least I'm in my own house. So I think it's a bit of an escape as well. So that's what I think it is in any ways. Um, what does the future hold for Sean? I have no idea. I've, I've absolutely no idea. Surviving when you said, how have I survived this long? I've, I don't know how I have, but I just love it. I love going into work every single day and I love trying to keep pushing myself in there. But what does the future hold? I don't even know what tomorrow holds for Sean, let alone me. So I think what's going to happen is, also what people don't realise, we get the scripts one week before we film, right? So if we're filming on the, the Monday, we get it the Monday before. And that's only when you realise what you're doing that week. They don't tell you in advance. They don't tell you, look, Sean's going to now go in January and he's going to become a drug dealer or he's going to be, he's going to have something wrong with him. He's going to have an illness. Like all these storylines that happen, no one knows except the week before. So when you read your script, you're going, like during this year, for example, I was involved in kind of a a drug kind of storyline. It was like in my house, there was like a girl called Vinny. She came in and I knew she was bad news and it escalated. But I didn't know what was happening week to week. So you'd get to the end of the script and you're going, oh no, what's next week? And you'd be asking the director and like, we can't tell you. So I've no idea what it holds, but hopefully it's interesting, it's exciting and it's uh, fun to do. Uh, this is a good question. These are really, first of all, girls, are really great questions. I like, oh, they're, they're really good questions. The, I have a dream role. And a couple of years ago, I worked with a director called Jim Sheridan. And Jim Sheridan, uh, one of the biggest directors in, in Ireland, you know, he did My Left Foot in, in America. He's done so many, you know, big films. And I did a play about Brendan Bean. So Brendan Bean, a famous Irish playwright, uh, wrote The Borsal Boy, The Queer Fella, loads of different stuff. And I played a young Brendan Bean, young Brendan Bean growing up. And it was really great like to play someone that was actually lived. He was an alcoholic. He was part of the IRA. He moved to England. So it was very interesting. So I played him from like 16 right up to 30, like all the way through his life. So then they came back to me, Jim and Peter, and they said, would you be interested in playing another character because I came up with this idea about six years ago and it's my dream role and I think it's going to be going into motion next year and that is Christy Brown so do you, do you ever do you know Christy Brown yeah. my left foot so Daniel Day-Lewis played that in a film that Jim Sheridan directed and you know I've been obsessed with this film I've, it was my first film that I looked at and I was like oh my god that's acting that's a man playing that's not, you know, I, I couldn't get over it. I was mind blown that how someone could actually be a completely different character or something. So I said that to them years ago and I was like, it's something. So I think next year, potentially going on stage, um, myself and I'll do another actor, then I'll be playing, hopefully, um, the part of Christy Brown. So it's cerebral palsy, the life in town growing up and the writing and all that type of stuff. So Looking forward to that. Now, nobody knows whether it happens or not. I'm not too sure, but uh, 
that is an exclusive. Um, what actor has you guys worked with? Yeah, great question. I so I've been very lucky to work with a lot of actors kind of throughout my career, my life, and but it's all like there's one that I actually I just really love this man I think uh, and his name is McLean Burke and he plays Damien in Fair City and so Mac his name like Damien uh, we've grown up together like the last since 2000 since I joined the show we've been really great friends and now Mac is now in the Olympia Panther with me he plays the dame so he dresses up as the woman and he plays my mom and stuff so it's very weird it's very but we get on great and we, we're just mad together and it's really good sharing the stage with him so to bring from Fair City up onto the panto, even though he is dressed as a woman and he has eight-inch high heels, um, it's still really good. So I do love working with McLean Burke, but I've also been able to work with the likes of Tony Tormey, who plays Paul in Fair City, um, Polly McLean, who's Mrs. Doyle in Father Ted. Um, there's, there's been kind of loads, but I think uh, I love working with uh, McLean Burke. Actually, Rory Cowan. I work with Rory Cowan as well for Mrs. Brown's Boys. He also played my mom in the panto, which was very strange. Rory Brown, Rory Cowan playing your mom in a panto as he's dressed as a woman. Mad, but that's 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 showbiz. Um, you've done so much more than Fair City. Tell us a little bit about Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Did you did you just watch Dancing with the Stars? Yeah. Did you, did you just enjoy it? Yeah. It's good show. I used to be like. I used to, like, I was obsessed with Dancing with the Stars. I loved Strictly Come Dancing, and every time Dancing with the Stars was on, I always used to sit at home just watching it going, I want to do that, like, I want to do that. And then they kind of approached me the year before and were like, would you be interested? I was like, yes, but the panto, there was a crossover. So long story short, I got into it. I knew really early on about it, and it was one of the best things I have ever, ever done. Like, it was so hard, though. It was really, really hard, which I don't think people realise that people only see one minute, 40 seconds on a Sunday. You know, when we walk down those steps and it's like dancing the cha-cha, Ryan Andrews and Julia Dotta. And everyone's like, oh, that's great. But you're like, we were rehearsing eight, ten hours a day. You know, when you finish a dance on Sunday, you're straight into the studio the next morning from a cha-cha to a Charleston or a Foxtrot or a, a, a Vini's Waltz or whatever it is. And you're just going, what is going on here? Like, what is happening? And the pressure, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure on Dancing with the Stars. But, like, really good pressure, if that makes sense. But, yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. And I would really recommend anybody to do something that pushes you out of your comfort zone and kind of try something new, yeah? Um, you chose Coldplay to you as a franchise, but I'm a choice. Can you tell us why? You've done your research, girl. These are good. <laughs> the the good questions coming out. Um, so like basically, on Dancing with the Stars, they pick everything for you. Like so, they pick your costume, they pick your songs, they like pick everything. Like Julia does all the choreography, and they have to show it to the producers. They have to approve it, and then it gets it. And this was going on. So you know there was I think Cha 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 was the first, Tango was the second, The Joy was third. This was going on. And the week of Fix You was our choice. So this was when we got to choose. Now, they ch told me I had a rumba. Uh, no, they didn't. They told me I can pick any song I want. 
And I was like, okay, I want to pick Fix You by Coplay. And they were like, why? And I opened up on the show that I have uh, scoliosis, uh, the curvature of your spine, and I have Shearman's kyphosis, which is also the rounditure of the shoulders. I was diagnosed when I was 15, I think, in Crumlin Hospital up in Dublin. Um, I was kind of complaining with pains, and then I just went in and thought it was a routine check, and they actually said I have, you know, basically my spine goes like this, and that's up, and my spine also curves at the top. So no one knew about this, like, because basically, I don't know what you you girls go through. You don't know what I go through. No one knows what everyone has going on in their lives, whether you could have had the worst morning ever. You could have had a fight with whoever it was. You could have been late. But everyone just gets on with their, their days. Everyone goes to school. Everybody goes. You don't know what your teachers have going on with their lives. So that's what I never kind of told people about this. And I op- I was like, I'm not going to talk about it on the show. And they're like, you have to imagine if there was a little boy in Crumlin now, eight years of age, who had scoliosis, and their doctors are telling them to give up, to stop. You won't be able to play sports. You won't be able to do that, because that's what I was told. And I said, okay, I'm going to talk about it. So Fix You was a rumba. It was really emotional. I was talking about it. I came, I told this story about, I was over in England, and a teacher, now it wasn't a, a, a like a secondary teacher, it was a like a musical theatre teacher, brought me up to the front of the class, and basically, told me to stand there and told everybody to look at me and say, whatever you guys do, don't be like Ryan. Don't stand like Ryan. Ryan will never make it because of how he stands, how his posture, he won't never be a leading man. I was like 16 at the time or something. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Fair play to you, miss. A little bit harsh, but you know, I'm trying to joke. And I never thought about that until the week of Dancing with the Stars. So I told that story and my mom and dad, Mikhail and I were in the audience. I never told them that story. And all you can hear is like dancing the rumba. And you just hear me mom crying on, <laughs> like bawling in the audience. I was like, oh no, I should have told her. I should have told her. So that's why I picked Fix You. A really, a really kind of emotional um, dance and kind of story. And I was delighted that I was able to tell it. But there's other dances on the show, like the the contemporary ballroom where the orchestra came in. I got three tens on that. And then the Charleston to like the Muppets, I think was my my best dance I ever did on the show. So, um, but yeah, mad mix of emotions and whirlwind, but uh, loved loved every second of it. Um, so you must have been really proud of that performance, right? Yeah, really, really proud. Really, like I was really, and then I remember Jen Jennifer Samparelli was like, "What would you say to that younger guy?" And I was like, "No," I said, "I I nearly want to have that younger guy." back in me because that younger like that's my 16 year old I didn't care what anyone said I didn't I was so focused of what I wanted to do no one was going to tell me no no one was going to say you're not going to do it I would nearly I would stand up to the team that's why I got in trouble in school because I would stand up for myself all the time I had so much like I left school and moved to London at 16 years of age on my own like I was so like determined where I as I grew older I lost that I lost that uh that fearlessness, and I became more conscious of what people thought. I became more self-conscious, uh, self-aware. So I nearly said, Jesus, give me a bit of the my 16-year-old back in me now. So, you know, that's kind of what it was. But I was very proud. And I was also, the, I think, can you remember, like, the Charleston? You probably won't remember the Charleston. Do you remember I did a Charleston on the show? Yeah. Just say yes, even if you don't. Just nod yeah. your heads. There we go. <laughs> no, 
basically that week, right? It was the quarter final, and not many people know this, but like it was the quarter final. I just let like I hadn't had a day off in about I'd say eight months because it was like firstly the panto up to Christmas and dance with the stars. I was really burnt out, and we had to do two dances that week. If you made that, you had to do two dances in the semi-final, and then you had to do a final. And I was going to leave the show that week on the Monday. I was like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I can't do this. It's too hard. And I end up going in and end up kind of getting three tens and the best dance. So no matter what you think, how hard it is, keep pushing through and you'll get through to the other side. When you're on the show, you're going to the same. When someone tells you you can't do something, don't accept it. What about believe your mindset? Did you take this mindset into your ultimate too? 100%. Like that's, it's all about your mindset. Everything is all about how you think and how you perceive things. I've been doing that since I'm literally 15. Like, you know, if you have something in your head and if you want to do that, the only person who is going to tell you no, you can't or you won't be able to do it is yourself. You know, like, there's no need, like, if a teacher turns around, like, whatever you want to be when you grow up, like, like, what, what do you want? Do you know what you want to do or what you want to be? What do you want to do? Nothing. Well, you have all the time in the world, which is amazing. So, like, don't rush into things. But if, if something gets in your head and you know yourself that that is the only way that I need to do it, if you wanted to be a vet, well, you know, well, okay, I have to study and I have to get 600 points to be a vet. And I need to work now for the next three years for my leaving cert and all those years in college and I'll work out. I wasn't like that. I knew that I needed to leave school to work in the industry to pursue that. So I've had that since I'm 15 years of age. And even with Dancing with the Stars, it was never about winning. I, I said to the producer, because I'm really competitive and they were like, you want to win? I was like, no, I want to do the best dance every single week. That's it. If I get folded out, and I do the best dance, well, at least I can walk with my shoulders back and my head held high. And that's the exact same mentality to Hell Week. All I wanted to do was complete that course. And because I, I put a lot of pressure on myself before, you know, just in life in general. And I, th- I thought that Hell Week came at the right time because I said, right, this is the challenge now. This is my challenge. If I can pass this, I don't need to prove anything to anyone else or myself anymore, you know. And that's what I did. So, that mentality of never saying no, don't stop, just keep going. Doesn't matter how slow you're going, once you just keep going. So once you have something focused to focus on, everything blinkers on and go 100% all in, and that's what I do. Yeah. Um, now we have three goggles on episode three, and to be honest, what were the DCs, DSs really like? Horrible. They were horrible humans. Ray was the worst person I've ever met in my life. He was, no, I'm joking. Ray is honestly, he is a legend. Ray is, but they're a legend after the show. When you're in the show, it's real. So when we were on a boat, they were, they're screaming at your faces and they're saying, get out of the boat, come on. But we respected him so much because when Ray was there, like we didn't know him as Ray. We didn't know his name. We just called him DS the level of authority and respect that he had. When he was telling us to get up in the morning at three o'clock, he threw me in a plunge pool. He made, like was screaming at me. He was saying, you're a piece of, like all this stuff at three in the morning, I'm there going, I need another hour of sleep. 
but you respect them so much and you wanted to kind of impress them. You wanted to improve all the time. And that's what it was. They were pushing you to your limits to see what you had left in you, you know, and it was an amazing learning curve of adversity, resilience, you know, determination. And it's all what everybody has inside. Everybody has these traits, but it's how you take it out of you. And that's what I think Ray did for us. So, like, these are all brilliant questions. And, like, I think nowadays people are a lot more aware of mental, like, you know, the mental side of things where for years and years, whether it was GA, camogie, rugby, sports, like, whatever it was, dancing, it was all physical. Everybody thought it was physical. I have to, I have, like a GAA player, I have to train as hard as I can. I have to do all these sessions. I have to get to the all Islands. I have to get to where ultimately it's your, it's your mindset. It's your mental state that allows you to do the physical state as well. So on the show, I was physically fit. I was probably the fittest I'd, I'd been. I was mentally very, very strong. I was in a really good place mentally. Like I had a broken rib. My rib got broke on the show and I continued on. My ankle rolled over. My tendons were torn on that and I still continued on. But emotionally was the toughest part for me, and which I wasn't really aware of. Um, I had a kind of a mental breakdown on the show. Um, I had like a, a mask that went over my face that wasn't even part of the show. Like it was actually just, we had to go from one room to another room and they didn't want us to see anywhere, but they put a balaclava and they tie it really tight. So your breathing is like taken away from you. You don't know where you are, your sense, you're being you, your doors being like, your head's being used to open doors and all it was mad shit. So I went in and I, I basically, I broke down on the show. I was just like, just so emotional. I was thinking about my dad earlier on in the year and my dad was sick. And then, yeah, so physically was okay. Mentally was okay. But the emotional side of things, were, um, was probably the toughest for me at that point. No, not at all. There was a point during the show where I was actually going, this Army Rangers thing is actually all right. Like, I'm doing okay here. I, I could do the Army Rangers. And then they threw us out of a helicopter 50 foot into the sea and made us swim and stand there for about two hours while we were getting hypothermia. And I was like, no, done. I don't want, like, the Army, what they do, is really hard. Like air course was kind of like for five, six days. Like it wasn't that long. They do that for nine months, like nine months. And then they spend another year or two kind of after that training. It's so intense. And to be honest, I was looking at that going, I, I missed the sequence and the fake tan of Dancing with the Stars. Give me that any day, I said. Um, you were not just a TV star, too. You were a panto star. What was your first ever panto? Panto star. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. Basically, my first memory of panto was... My first ever show was when I was 10 years of age in the Olympia Theatre. And I played Singing in the Rain. And that was the musical. And I was the young Gene Kelly, the Don Lockwood character. So from that summer, they said there's a panto going on at Christmas. So I was 11 years of age. It was Bugsy Malone, and I went in, and I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew I wanted to be on stage. I knew I wanted to perform, and I got it. And kind of like Fair City, when you said, how did I survive Fair City? How am I surviving Panto 17 years later? I have no idea. They can't get rid of me, but um, 
I'm I write the show now, I creative direct it, and I kind of star in it as well. So I kind of worked my way up, and um, yeah, just I love Panto is one of the best things ever. It's Christmas time. It's a great time of year, and yeah, absolutely love Panto, and it's great for everyone in an audience, whether you're three or ninety three. It works for everybody, so I love love Panto. Yes, so I'm going to be in Ollie, Polly, and the Beanstalk. So it's basically air take on Jack. Actually, I'll show you this. So I'm basically in a room in my house now, and on my desk I have basically that's the front of the Olympia Theatre, and I also have these here. Now, I didn't bring these for the interview; they're just on my desk. Imagine me just going, "This is what I have," but these are all like placards from the years when I did Jedward. So there was all the years when Jedward were in it, and then there's other stuff as well. So it's all, and then I also have, hold on, there we go. There's like kind of memorabilia all around as well. So yeah, it's Ollie, Polly and the Beanstalk, myself, James Patrice is in it as well, and Aaron McGregor, Mikhail O'Neill, Rob Vickers. There's a lot like the same crew that we do every year, and it's going to be great because we haven't performed in a theatre in over a year and a half because of COVID. So we get to go back on stage and that's probably the most exciting thing. Probably the most excited I've been in a long, long, long time. Um, the last year, your white Irish people love Bear City. Now can you tell us what makes the panto so special? Brilliant question. What I think what makes the panto so special is the magic. You know, people go, it's tradition. People go when they were kids and when they get old, they're bringing their kids. So we had so two years ago, a family, there was a three year old brother, sister, mom, there was a nanny and it was a great nanny and granddad there as well, all in that theater. And what Air Panda in particular, the Olympia is where we do it for everybody. We give the magic of the princess for the little girl. We give all the football jokes, the, the adult jokes for all the adults. We have like the dancing, the, singing it's full of energy and it's just an absolute like it's like a concert nearly it's not like a traditional panto we go out there and absolutely work our backsides off for an hour and a half to give or two hours two and a half hours to give that magic kind of um, entertainment that we do so yeah it's really important to have something for everyone in the family i said the little girls are going there the boys the brothers who don't want to be there the dads some dads don't want to be there you can see them sitting there going I'm paying for all of this. Now I have to bring them out for Eddie Ruckers afterwards. So we put stuff in for there, the football jokes, the, I said the, the rude jokes as well for them that the kids won't get. So it's really great. And honestly, to see the audience in there smiling away is one of the best feelings ever at the end. So hopefully it's going to be a little bit different this year with social distancing and masks and all that. But once they're back inside, that's all that matters. And we get to perform again. You spent a few days recently in Spain organizing your wedding with your beautiful fiance, Michaela. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so basically, we, I, I've been asked this question, I'd say, for about five years now. Honestly, everyone is just on all the time just goes, when are you proposing? When are you proposing? And I was like, oh my God, like it was a running joke. Every, every night people thought I was going to do with a panto. People thought I was going to do it on Dance with the Stars. I remember I said, someone said, would you propose to Michaela if you made the final? I said, look, if you vote for me enough and I win it, I'll propose to her as a joke. And then it blew up. Everyone, Ryan wants folks now to propose to Michaela on the wedding. I was like, that is not what I said. So long story short was, 
I proposed in August this year and it was a complete shock. I always knew I wanted to do it, but I was waiting for the right time. Uh, I was down in Wexford um, on Ballymoney Beach. That's where Michaela kind of grew up. In the, we grew up kind of as kids on the mobile site. And it's a really special meaning right by the sea for Michaela's family and stuff. And we were away in Spain the following week. And we said, Majorca, we just, we never been there before. We'll be there as kids. But there was one venue in one place that we wanted. And it was the only one we saw. We kept looking at different countries. We were looking at Italy and France and Santorini, Croatia. All, all It was always away as well. And we went. I done a FaceTime with this person. I says, I want that venue. Is it available? She goes, you'll have to come over to Palma. So we went over um, on the midterm break. And we went, only saw one venue, booked it, and we're getting married in 2023. So I feel really old. I feel mad even saying that, but that's what it is. So looking forward to it. And I think getting ready for a wedding is worse than Hell Week. Is she very supportive of it? Yeah, really supportive. Really, really supportive. And I think that's that's really important that you're only as good as the people you have around you, you know, like as in, support is the most important thing you know even going back to my mom and dad my mom and dad were extremely supportive you know friends supportive but Michaela is always there so you know there's there's times when people see me winning hell week there's times when people see me winning dance with the stars there's times when people see me winning panto but it's not like that all the time when I came back from hell week just for an example like I just won the toughest show the toughest challenge of my life and I had a broken rib and I came back for six weeks. I couldn't get out of bed and I'm there just lying in bed, kind of rolling over, trying to get up, trying to go back out walking. And my head was going like, I was really in a weird place. Cause I was like, Oh my God. Like I was just like here, like yesterday. And now I'm here and I'll be here for like six weeks. So Michaela was very supportive at that time going like, come on, get up. And I get up. And I was like, she had to help me out of bed. And like, I'd walk instead of like driving to the shops, I would walk to the shops to get all, you know, so very supportive. And yeah, I wouldn't probably be able to do what I do without Michaela because she's a primary school teacher. And that's her kind of main time job. She does Irish dancing teacher and the stage kills stuff with us. But she's very organized and very, uh, very teachery, if that makes sense. Very whoosh, puts the whip out when it needs to come out. Gives out to me all the time. It was unfair that I saw up. Were you guys in big classes and have you seen anything uh, and have you seen anything in this new experience? With COVID, like the good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Um you know, for me there was there was good obviously and bad. And in a way, the good what I took from it was I don't think I think people found a lot of time for themselves, like you know, that like I used to always feel I needed to be around people all the time. I needed to be with people all the time where when COVID came in, like I found nothing more than like just going out and enjoying a walk on my own, listening to music or a podcast or whatever, or going hiking. I kind of took up hiking last year and it's the best thing I've ever done. Literally like if things get hard or things get a bit much, I just go out on my own and I love nothing more now than my own company. Like weird, like I never used to, I used to hate being on my own, but now COVID, I actually love being on my own. And I think it's kind of brought a lot of people together. I think I've been a lot closer with a lot of people. And also there's a lot of people that I'm probably not as close to anymore 
And that's maybe for a reason as well, that you realise who you want kind of around you and stuff. So, yeah, COVID was good in some ways, um, but in other ways it was absolutely devastating, you know, with our, with the industry. You know, our stage skill, we teach kids singing, acting, dancing, musical theatre. That was closed for a while. We had to go outside. The pantos were taken away from us. You know, my dad got sick from COVID and stuff. So it was really, really challenging year, but it's great to hopefully be on the other side of it now. Do you mind telling us a bit about the dad and COVID? Yeah, no, um, my dad, so it was after January, I was saying last year, January this year, um, when COVID was really high, like it was, that's when it kind of blew up, end of January. And my dad was going into work and he had to just get a routine check. And he said, look, do a COVID test just before you do it. My dad had no symptoms, no nothing. He got COVID and he says, you need to isolate. So then we all kind of isolated ourselves. But straight away, my dad was in bed, just like that. Couldn't get up. I could not get up. He couldn't even roll around. Like, he was just asleep all the time. And that's not like my dad. My dad's up, cycles to work, everything. Like, my dad is really up. And he's like, I'm on the phone to him four times a day. He's ringing me during the this. I'm trying to, I'm hanging up with him. He's ringing me now at the moment. But um, I tried to ring him and he didn't answer. And he says, I don't want to talk. And I was like, okay, this is weird. He gets rushed to hospital. His oxygen levels at that point were incompatible with life. He was so, so low on oxygen and he collapsed. So they rushed him to the matter hospital. He was straight to ICU. And we didn't know any of this. We didn't know anything. We were just waiting on the call. We thought he was still up in the other hospital. And they put him in 24-hour care, all the doctors around, all the machines. And he was basically kind of dying. And what they needed to do was they needed to get his oxygen levels back up. So they put him on a mask, CPAP machine. And that's where they put a mask on and it literally blows 100% oxygen into your mouth, just like that. And it's really intense and it's really uncomfortable. They put that on for 10 hours and it was too much for him. So he couldn't actually be able to take it in. And then he got on another machine and that didn't work. And he had to be on a ventilator, so which was really, really terrible. You know, he wasn't able to breathe. He was in a, in a coma for 10 days and stuff. But like everything, I get this from my dad. My dad is very strong. He's very mentally strong. And he knew he was going to get out of it. So he kept fighting. He kept working hard. He wasn't able to walk. So he had to learn how to walk again. And he had to learn how to breathe again and eat, all that type of stuff. But he made a full recovery. And that's thanks to all the staff in the Matter Hospital. He made a, He's back cycling in and out of work now. So it's. Uh, I've really appreciated the, I appreciate the time I have with him now as well after that ordeal. Because it was very, very hard. We would like to before we head to bed. And Ryan, that's all the questions we have today. Thanks so much for joining us. And we can't wait to see what future holds for you. We hope the Panther goes well and that the Christy Brown project comes to the Thank you, girls, so much. Honestly, you are absolutely brilliant. You are two legends. You are so much. really enjoy that. And it's a little bit weird when you have to actually ask questions and have a conversation with people as well. But you are um, absolute superstars. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.